small child, I know I'm not very loud and I need to have the microphone on so people will hear me. If you are a small child, you can head on down to Children's Church. And in a second here, I'll get my, uh, my daughter will come running up with the tablet, so I'll have the ability to control slides. Uh, and uh, on, while she's coming up, we'll bow our heads and pray in um, preparation for hearing the word. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, you would be with us this morning. Help me to um, just help me to share the gospel. Um, help me to talk about grace. Help me to talk about the the gift of salvation that we have in Christ. You're truly an awesome and wonderful God, and I pray that you would just be in our presence today. Help us to help us to just know Christ more through hearing. Your word through through understanding your uh, grace for us in Christ's name, Amen. I uh, I this is one of those mornings where I really struggled to come up with a, a story to tell or or an illustration. And actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you a bit of an odd story. And this is the short version, uh, or the best I can do with a short version because there's a lot of text to cover today. Um, one of the best worship experiences I've ever had, uh, I was in college, and I went with a group of guys on my floor to see this, this band play. It was actually three or four bands, and they all, uh, it, was, it was somewhat alternative, I guess is what you'd call it, but, but we were there, like the whole crowd was dancing and worshiping God, and it was, it was really exceptional. It was one of, the, one of those moments in my life that I, I think back on sometimes, and, and it, was, it was just incredible to be in a huge crowd of people just worshiping God together. I've never experienced anything like that before and 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 I've worshiped with other people before but this was like like uninhibited. It was unusual. Like it, it's just and and you could almost just feel God in the room and I mean it was really something. And and um about a year later I went to see the same uh band with my wife. I had moved to Texas. I can't remember if we were engaged at that point or not. Um, but it was, uh, one was in a high school gym or something like that. And the other, we were in like a stadium. It was huge, huge venue, folding chairs, youth groups, churches, the whole nine yards. It was the worst like musical events I've ever attended. And I've gone to a lot of school concerts with my kids. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I should not have said that. I love you all. I should not have said that. I'm so sorry. I love you all. Uh, <laughs> I can't see <laughs> all three of them, um, but it was like the 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 crowd was terrible. Like their kids smashing chairs, like like seeing how quickly they could break down these chairs, and the opening act got booed off the stage. Like in the most, I, I've never seen anything like it. And I I remember as as this this musical group was going up, I was praying. I'm like God. I, I really felt your presence last time. Just help me to be in your presence today. Help me to worship you. And and about halfway through, a guy comes up behind me and grabs me physically. Like I'm standing, and they he, he drags me off. And all of a sudden, there's a half a dozen security guys on me. And they drag me. They throw me against the wall. And I am livid. I mean, if you've ever been suddenly grabbed and manhandled by a group of security guards. I know it doesn't happen a lot. I may be the only one in the room, all right? <laughs> but I remember I was so mad. I was, I was ready to 
fight like all six of these guys. It was crazy. And, or however many there were. It was a long time ago. Um, and Jess kind of walked up and she saw it from a distance and walked up and saved me. And I was sitting there and I was steaming mad. And I was, I was on the floor. I was, you know, grinding my teeth and just, just furious. And it turns out they mistook me for somebody they'd thrown out earlier in the evening. That's it. Got me wrong. And I remember sitting there and just being angry about the event, but also saying, God, this really isn't what I asked for. And as I, as I was sitting there being angry, one of the camera guys walks up to me and says, hey, I saw what happened. That was crazy. I can't believe that happened. He's like, here, take my all-access pass. He gives me this all-access pass. I was like, really? Like, that's kind of crazy. And so I, I walked away from the whole thing and wandered around the building. I was backstage while they were playing. I, I didn't wander on stage. That would have been a very Eric thing to do, to accidentally stumble onto the stage. I did not do that. Um, but I remember afterwards, I was in like the the room with all of these musical artists and I was standing there in the corner hoping nobody would figure out I wasn't supposed to be there and it was just like the bands and their families and they were praying and talking about Jesus and I remember thinking I don't belong here I hope nobody figures out every once in a while everybody would look over at me like what's this guy doing and then they brought in like contest winners and all kinds of other stuff who got to and it was the craziest thing because like like it was not what I expected, and I, I found myself in a spot that I did not belong. I did not deserve to be. I just ended up there, and I was hoping no one would notice. And I, I didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't anything. I just tried to stand still and blend in um, <clears throat> with a wall, not even with a band, like, like nothing. So I, we're talking about grace today, and I, I, why am I starting with a story? Um, because grace is to receive something you don't deserve. And like quite the opposite of don't deserve. Um, actually, I got a quote from Harry Ironside. Uh, grace is the very opposite of merit. Grace is not only undeserved favor, but is favor shown to the one who has deserved the very opposite. Um, one of the great scandals of Christianity, of our of our belief system is that the worst people who have ever lived, the worst sinners, the worst wicked men, um, can be forgiven. And they don't have to earn it. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to anything. By faith, or by grace, through faith, we're forgiven. When we deserve the exact opposite. And I sometimes wonder when I look back on my life if there will be a day that I stand in heaven in the back just hoping nobody says anything. Hoping nobody notices, because I know who I am. I know the sins I've committed. I know how I stumble, how I fall, how I, how I fall short, how I fall asleep at the wheel sometimes in life. Like, like all of these things, and I know that I'm still forgiven. Um, we're going to talk about Jacob today. Jacob is a funny character on a bunch of levels. Um, he was a sojourner, but he was sort of a sojourner in the beginning, not on purpose, he was an exile, in a way. He was a guy who received God's promise and then had to run away to keep his family from killing him. Got it? Like, this is not the story of the good guy. Understand. And we're gonna, you're going to understand as we get into it. Um, he's only mentioned once in Psalm 105, which is sort of the pattern we're following for this text. He's actually, yeah, he's mentioned sort of in passing in those verses um, we're not going to do the Psalm 105 today. Just be aware, in the 7 to 11, he's mentioned twice, three times really, 
once with two names, and the two-name sermon is later. Today we're going to talk about Jacob and how he ends up where he is. Really quick, sojourners are people who live in a foreign land. They live in a place that is not their home amongst people that are not their family or their people, and they had no rights in the ancient world. For the scriptures, though, like sojourners are in a different place. They they are people who lived in the promised land expecting God to fulfill his promises. They are people who um, lived in exile as, as you know, the, the entire nation was kicked out of, it, you know, the homeland. Um, they, they were now ultimately believers where we live in a world that's not ours, knowing that our home is in heaven. Our kingdom is, is in eternity. And, and so sojourners are this, like, recurring theme. And we're just kind of following this in Psalm 105. Go look at one of the other sermons on Facebook, and you can catch the deeper line of that thought. Um, now, when we start with God's covenant with his people, the first sojourner is Abraham. Actually, technically, Adam born again into that. Um, with Abraham, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, go over there and live, and I will give you that land, and I'll give you more descendants than the grains of sand on the beach and all of these other things. And so God makes this promise to Abraham. That promise passes to Isaac by merit of Isaac being born and God picking him. Got it? Like, Isaac didn't do anything to earn it. God chose Isaac said, you are next in line, you receive the promise, and now we have the first time where it's an A or a B, because Isaac is alone. He's got a brother, but it's a half-brother. He's not in the proper lineage. Isaac was the child of the promise. Now, Isaac has two sons. One is Jacob, and one is Esau. We always say Jacob and Esau, but it should be Esau and Jacob, because Esau was the older brother by like five minutes, but still the older brother. In the ancient world, if you were the older sibling, you got everything. Actually, you got a double share of the inheritance. You were the namesake. You were generally the favorite. There's all kinds of stuff that goes with it. And everyone down the line, yeah, I guess. It's a little like being Prince Harry. Is he the one that ain't ever going to, like, be anything? And then the other one, like, actually looks like his dad. Um, nothing, I'm just saying. Um, so when, when they were born, uh, we're going to go to Genesis 25, and this is an important bit of prophecy here. Uh, this is when they're born, uh, or before they're born, when uh, Rebecca, who is gone home, but is also not the Rebecca in this text because it's spelled differently, um, she's pregnant with these twins, and the children struggled. This is starting in verse 22, chapter 25. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is it happening to me? <laughs> I, I know every pregnant woman has said a version of that, right? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people within you shall be divided. The one shall serve the stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, what this prophecy is saying is, we got, you're going to have twins, congratulations, um, and they're going, they're going to be in conflict. Not only are they going to be in conflict, the older is going to end up serving the younger. The younger is the one who's going to be where the line follows. Now, that's an oddball thing because the younger does not get to have the lineage, right? By ancient norms, this is not how it works. You take it a step further, 
and you jump down a little further in 25. Um, so uh, this is verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Um, quiet man, uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can read that, but it's probably just the case that he was really civilized compared to Esau, who was like an outdoor guy, right? Um, in addition, we find out that Esau was a really hairy guy, really hairy, like like spotted Bigfoot in the wilderness, kind of hairy. I'm not making it up. We'll get a little... Yeah, at least in the Northwoods. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what did you do? Now I'm going to go long and it's your fault. Um, so there's this prophecy that they'll be in conflict, that that um, the one will serve the other, but the dad super loves the oldest son. Now, it says because he liked wild game and like, you know, Esau brought wild game, which is a really, really bad reason to favor one child over the other, Right. <laughs> And there's actually some subtext to that, and we may touch on it, we may not. It depends on how long it takes to get there. So the two grow up together, they live. There's a weird event where Esau goes out hunting, and he comes home, and he's starving. He's so hungry, and Jacob has made soup, and Esau's like, hey, give me some of the soup. And he's like, well, what are you going to give me, as brothers will? Uh, and he says, well, I'll, you know, what do you want? Like, well, give me your birthright. Let me be the oldest child. Well, whatever. It's no good to me if I starve. And so he trades his birthright for a bowl of soup. Why? Because he doesn't care that much. And ultimately, as we dig into Esau, he's really not a guy who cares about any of this um, until it matters. Um, so, despite that, it is still the job of the patriarch, the father, to decide who receives the blessing. It is not anybody else's. So, Jacob and Esau can exchange birthrights, but Isaac decides who gets what. So starting in ver- chapter 27, starting in verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, kind of like mine, so that, he could see, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out in the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So probably Isaac had a cold because he thinks he's dying. He doesn't die for another 20 years. Spoiler. He's going to live another 20 years, but he's got a man cold, and he's convinced he's going to die. Actually, in the ancient world, when your eyes began to dim, they assumed you were going to die soon. Everybody got it? That's the indicator. So he's like, man, my eyes are going. It's probably about time to pass on this this blessing because I'll probably die any day now. And he didn't because the cold went away, I guess. I don't know. Um, But it is always his choice, and he would normally – this is a very normal event – where on your deathbed or near your death, you would call your sons in and you would pass on blessing like this. And it would generally, there are little bits and pieces that are in this account that are very typical of the ancient world, where you would, you would bless and then you would kiss your child and then bless them, right? Like this is something that takes place here. Um, there are a couple of other interesting parallels that are there. Um, but understand, like, like this blessing thing is normal and it would normally go to the oldest. Now, understand, 
based on our two texts, it seems like one of the main reasons he's giving it to Esau rather than Jacob is because his stomach is leading the way. Got it? He's not making a spiritual decision. He's not making a deep decision. As we get to know Jacob, maybe Isaac knew Jacob better than we did and sort of expected very little out of him. Um, But he's choosing the son based on, like, his personal preference, based on his stomach, based on his, his hunger, um, so to speak. And it's not a really spiritual decision. He's basically ignoring the prophecy that his wife got. So, 5 to 17. Oh, golly. There's like no way to do this quickly, and my intro took too long. Don't care. Uh, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So, when Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flocks and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them for the delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a very hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall be seen to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice, go and bring them for me. So we're going to start summarizing here a little bit. She basically cuts up these goats, right? She takes the skin of one of those goats and covers her son in it. So he's now covered in goat hair because the other son, again, Bigfoot hairy. Got it? Like Robin Williams hairy. He's a hairy man. In addition, Isaac, or Jacob puts on his brother's clothing so that he'll smell like his brother. And he goes in to talk to us. Like, so he has all of these. He's like, look, this isn't going to work because of this. This isn't going to work because of this. This isn't going to work because of this. And, like, basically, number one, this is, like, we could all agree. Like, I have never been around a family member who was blind or infirmed or, like, on their deathbed. But I'm pretty sure, like, manipulating somebody in that spot, not cool. Right? Like, this is low. Like, it's really low. Admittedly, they're playing favorites because Rebecca's like, but he's my baby. He's my preferred child. He's the, the one of the tents, the smooth one. Um, by the way, there are a couple ways to read that, and we're going to get here in a minute. But the hairy one versus the smooth one could refer to his hairy lack of hair, right? But it could also be, and is almost certainly, a double entendre. Because the word smooth that's used here most often is used in reference to smooth talkers, right? These are people who speak really well, but also generally not always, usually, honestly. Um, smooth talk in the scriptures, like over and over again, you see it in the Psalms, you see it in Proverbs, you see it all over the Old Testament. These are people who are not truthful. Um, the name Jacob, oh my gosh, I read tons on this. I do not want to get into all of it. It had a lot of different meanings. One of the most obvious is heal, meaning, or bent. I've heard bent as well. Um, The long and short of it, Jacob was given a name indicating that he was a liar. He was not an honest man. And he refers to himself as smooth, as in not hairy, but also dude's a liar, right? He's about to go in and talk to his dad and lie to him. And he lies well. And actually, as you run through the story, 
you see where Isaac picks up and offers um, offers responses very quickly, very smartly, and in ways that that you know suggest the guy was a smooth talker. He was a liar. Um, jumping ahead to verse 18. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Now, this is important. Follow me here. In 22, verses 7 to 8, Isaac is with his father. They are up on Mount Moriah. They are going because God said, Go sacrifice your only son who you love. Go to three days travel to Mount Moriah, which, by the way, is where Jesus was crucified. It is the story of Jacob and Isaac and the sacrifice, but it's also really the story of Jesus through, like, typology. It's a whole conversation, but it's pointing forward to Christ. And when Isaac gets, you know, they're climbing the mountain to where they're going to make the sacrifice, he's like, hey, Father, I see the wood, see the knife, see the fire, don't see our sacrifice. And... Of course, Isaac's or Abraham's response is God will provide a sacrifice, which again is the most amazing prophecy because he would in Christ. Anyway, why am I citing this? Because the way, number one, my father, like the way that this wording is laid out in the text is the opposite of what the brother says when he approaches Abraham, or Isaac, right? So Esau comes in and he says almost the opposite. But at this point, um, Jacob is putting himself in Isaac's position. Isn't that crazy? And I think there's a reason for it, but we're going to have to get to it in a minute. As they exchange, um, Isaac lies to his father three times. Weird, right? Like, I don't know. I, I like parallels, and this may be stretching, but it does sound an awful lot like I don't doesn't it? Like he three times in a row to his father to get what he wants. Um I'm going to, well, we'll get here in a minute. Along the way, he also commits blasphemy, which is a huge deal. It was a death penalty offense during certain periods of the ancient uh, Jewish lives. Uh, so he says, hey, you just left. How did you get back so quick? And, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Like, he lied, and he lied using God. Like, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Like, he straight up commits blasphemy. And so not only is he lying, he's lying like using God's name. He is, um, look, Jacob's kind of a heel, right? Like, dude is not a good guy. Everybody with me? So he lies to his father. He blasphemes in the process. Then we get to the end, and he's, all right, well, come here and let me give you, or come here and kiss me so that I can bless you. And this is in 27B here. Through 29, like, like he comes in to kiss him, and the dad smells Esau's clothing. and says, of course you're my son. And then Isaac betrays his father with a kiss. Sound familiar? Because, now watch this. And, and well, yeah, let's do that right away. He is about to receive the promise. The promise that, God would deliver on for all of the Jewish people. He would be in the chosen people, right? He would be in the line of people that Christ would come out of. He would be like, like part of this grand plan that God has. And Jacob doesn't deserve it. He's not at the right place in the lineage, right? 
He steals the blessing in the end. He lies. He blasphemes. He betrays his father with a kiss. So in the same way that Peter, in the same way that Judas, in the same way as really any of us, he did not deserve grace. He didn't. When it all comes down and you read the whole text to a degree, Jacob should be standing in the back of the lineage saying, hope nobody realizes I'm here by false premise because he was there by false premise. But, but, it's not by his own plot because God intended it to happen. That's why the prophecy was right away while they were, before they were even born, like, right? The older will serve the younger. And it's a reference to the fact that one would pick it up and the other um, would serve the other. And in fact, actually, it goes further. If you read Malachi, it actually says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now, there's lots of subtlety the way that the language works. If you go to Romans, it's the same way. In Romans 9, where he's talking, like Paul is talking, he's like, look, how is it that God can have mercy on one and not the other? How can God choose to have mercy on this person and not the other? And like, ultimately what Paul says is, look at Jacob and Esau. God can have mercy on whom he has mercy on. And it's not going to be based on who was born when, who's in which family, who is the best behave, who is this, who is that, anything. It's going to be based on the fact that God shows mercy to whoever he wants. And in Christ, we receive mercy, which isn't just a pass. It is the opposite of what we have coming. Um, Jacob is going to receive the promise, but he doesn't deserve it. Not at all. And actually, we see this sort of thing over and over again in the Old Testament. It's one of those weird patterns that God follows where he shows mercy or he shows favor or he shows blessing to those who are at the bottom rung of the scale, of the ladder. People who don't have it coming. People who don't deserve it. Um, Paul identifies himself as one of those, right? Like the very least of the apostles because I persecuted the church, right? As one unnaturally born, he compares his his rebirth in Christ to an abortion or a miscarriage. Like, why? Because he didn't deserve it. Because none of us deserve it. But God shows us mercy, and it is something to be grateful for. It's something glorious. And so Isaac passes on the blessing, and it's basically the promise of God to the Jewish people. And Jacob picks it up. It's not his But it is his because God gave it to him. Because he deserved it? No, he was not a good guy. His name meant liar. He was a smooth man, meaning a liar. He even acknowledges it. And this pattern is something he's about to pay for. Now watch this. In 27, I actually really, uh, yeah, we'll read it. Um, We're going to do 41 to 46. This is just a very fun. So we're skipping over a really melodramatic moment where Esau finds out, oh, my gosh, like as Jacob walks out and by God's provision does not run into his brother on the way out of the tent as the brother is coming in, right? Like they miss each other pretty close. And 
like I, I think again, God saved him, and like Esau figures it out, and Jacob, fi- or no, Isaac figures it out, and Esau figures it out, and they're both wailing, and they're both so mad and angry and and frustrated, and like he gets a blessing that really is just a curse, which is awful. Like when you really read it, it's not a blessing; it's a curse. Um, but now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him, and Esau said to himself. The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So like day dad dies, it's over for you. And so he, he's ready to kill his brother, right? Like he is there. He intends to murder his brother. And really, Jacob probably has it coming at this point. Jacob stole. He stole like his birthright. But the words of Esau, or excuse me, but the words of Esau, hold on, uh, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and forgets what you have done to him. I love that. Forgets what you have done to him. She orchestrated it. She told him to do it. You did this. Get out of here. Um, Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be reft of you both in one day? Now, why should I lose you both in one day? Could be a reference to the fact that Isaac is going to die. Could also be a reference to the fact that the moment that Isaac is murdered by his brother, or Jacob is murdered by Esau, then like Esau is going to take punishment on himself for committing murder. It's tough to say for sure. Um, one way or the other, she says, hey, go stay with my brother or my cousin, and then like I'll, I'll send for you and you can come back. Here's the thing. The phrase she uses indicates or strongly suggests that he's going to be gone a few days. Anybody know how long he was gone? 20 years. <laughs> and it's a whole other story. But... Here's the idea. God shows you grace when you are at your lowest, when you are a sinner, when you are in rebellion, God forgives. And he makes you like brand new in Christ. And he loves you the way you are, but he loves you entirely too much to leave you that way. What Jacob is going to do is, Jacob is going to leave and he is going to become Israel. Because at the end of the story, God changes his name because he ain't the same man. The smooth man, the cheater, the the liar, the thief. He's going to die in exile, and a new man is going to come home. Now, what do we do with this? First off, Isaac was chosen by God. Excuse me, that should read. Jacob was chosen by God despite his deceptive behavior, despite his sin. And for you and me, in everything, if you are saved, if you are in Christ, if God is forgiving you, You did not earn that. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. There is nothing that you can do of your own effort and merit that will make salvation yours. That's it. Not possible. It is purely through grace that God sees you, that God forgives you in Christ. That is all of it. And the fact that the gospel is in this story, the fact that Peter and Judas can be found in the moment of betrayal, right? 
is an indicator that God will choose who he's going to show mercy to and who he ain't. Because Judas ends up hanging himself and Peter ends up restored. Because any of us could be either of them. After that, Jacob goes into exile and he sojourns in a foreign land. Um, So Jacob has received the promise. He is not instantly made new. He is not instantly made different. Instead, he goes and he faces hardship. And he gets cheated, and he gets lied to, and he experiences infighting in his household, and he deals with all of this garbage, and in the end, it changes him. Um, I would point out Moses was the savior of his people, right? And he tried to do it with a sword, and then he lived in the desert for a few decades until God said, all right, it's time to go back. I feel like you've grown up enough. Let's go do this. Um, Then he spent another several decades in the desert. Israel spent decades in the desert being made new as the old generation died off and the new generation raised up. And so it is with Paul who is converted and spends 10 years in hiding. 10 years before he starts his ministry. And it is the same for us. It is the same for anybody who follows Christ. We experience salvation And then God works us through a process. I read a line earlier today. Christians are caterpillars on their way to being butterflies, right? Paul tells us to crucify our flesh, to crucify the old man. We put to death our sinful desires. We live our lives being sanctified, being made brand new for God's purpose. Um, I really like, if you have free time this afternoon, you should go on YouTube and watch videos of people taking old tools and things like that and making knives out of them. It's so cool. Or they'll take like an old rusted up like craftsman crescent wrench and by the time they're done, it's this beautiful like like knife. It's been like heated up and beaten on and reshaped and sharpened and like cooled and sharpened some more and beat on some more and everything else until it becomes what it was meant to be. For us, God changes us. He sanctifies us. He works us through a process because when we receive the promise, we're not going to be where we're going. And I would suspect that if I asked around, I'd find more than a couple of people who experienced this. I thought when I became a Christian, I, I didn't want to do anything but serve Jesus. I was 15, 14, I don't know. I, I decided that I would follow Jesus. And I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And I could not imagine doing anything but serving God with my life. And I thought I'd go to college and then go to seminary and become a pastor. That was all I wanted to do until I was, I don't know, 20. And I failed Greek. And I realized I couldn't go to seminary in the denomination I picked. And it took me, I don't know, 15 years to go to school again, something like that. But God dragged me, sometimes kicking and screaming, through a process that made me ready. I had done it then, it would have been a disaster. It would have. It's kind of a disaster now. But (laughs) he brought me the long way around. And it is the case often that believers have to go through this process. They, all of us have to be sanctified, but sometimes we have to wait. Um, my challenge to you this week is as you like, go out, as you, as you like, serve God this week, as you walk with him, as you carry the promise of Christ, of salvation, undeserved, just to look at your heart and your life and ask, are my difficulties an opportunity that God is using to strip out the old part of me?
Am I carrying God's promise that I didn't deserve or do I think I deserved it? And am I on my way to where God is sending me? Am I even asking? The longer we wait in the desert, I think sometimes we choose to wait in the desert because we choose to wait, because we fight him, because we don't answer, because we don't walk with him, because we won't try. And I think sometimes it takes for us to begin this process with him, where he puts the heat on us and he brings out the hammer. He's like, I'm going to make you something new. And we fight and we fight and we fight. and We try rusting a little more over here and everything else. And ultimately, we cannot escape God's salvation, God's mercy, and God's sanctification. Um, will you find yourself in heaven standing there sanctified, or will you be in the corner hoping nobody notices? i close in prayer and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would help us to realize the unmerited nature of the grace you give us. Lord God, in this first Sunday of Lent, as we begin preparing for, for the death and resurrection of Christ on Easter, and, and, and we go through this season of, of looking at our hearts, looking at our lives, help us to remember Christ came when we were still in sin. We were brought into the promise when we were still lost, when we were liars, when we were Judas kissing and betraying, when we were denying Christ three times, when we were all of these things, Christ died for us. Help us to understand the depth of that grace and look at our lives and ask, am I in a season of sojourn? Am I in a season in the desert because you are preparing me to be like you? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.